welcome back to It's an Inside Job podcast. I'm your host, Jason Lim. Now, this podcast is dedicated to helping you to help yourself and others to become more mentally and emotionally resilient so you can be better at bouncing back from life's inevitable setbacks. Now, on It's an Inside Job, we decode the science and stories of resilience into practical advice, skills, and strategies that you can use to impact your life and those around you. Now, with that said, let's slip into the stream. Well, welcome back for a fresh new episode at the top of a new week. It is the beginning of December. It is the first week of December. And as I like to do at the top of every month, the first episode is a solo episode by myself. And this week, I want to address the communication skill of managing expectations. But before then, I just want to spend a few short minutes introducing the interviews I have coming up for you guys this month. In next week's episode, which is number 24, I'll be joined by Volodymyr Detorov. He's currently serving as a soldier in the Ukrainian Territorial Defense Force within the Unit of Public Affairs. Before he joined that, he spent a month at the Battle of Kharkiv, where he served in the trenches to defend from the Russian invasion. In his civilian life, he was the co-founder and CEO of Newsfront Communication Agency, one of Ukrainian's top consultancy agencies. And in that interview, we talk about resilience from the trenches as a soldier, as a Ukrainian, what he has seen and what he has learned and how he can take those lessons and apply it when he gets back to the civilian life. It was a deep hitting conversation, but it is the first conversation in the series where I will be talking to Ukrainians about resilience in their ongoing struggle to fight off the Russian invasion. And in episode 25, I'm joined by Sofia Opatska. She's a vice rector of the Ukrainian Catholic University and Business School. In that episode, Sofia and I talk about what it's like to be in the midst of a war, in the midst of an invasion, and how her students, herself, her community, the university, her family, and her friends and find a sense of resilience through such chaos, through such turmoil. So I hope you'll be able to join me for that interview because that was a very fascinating interview I had with Sophia. And at the tail end of the season is episode 26. And I am joined by Richard Studd. He's a wealth fund manager. He's a chief investment officer at Connectum Capital Management. And we talk about a mental framework for building financial resilience in an age of uncertainty. And I wanted to end the season with Richard's advice and his perspective on investing. Because as we move into an uncertain future with a looming recession and and a world economy that's balanced quite precariously. I think the conversation I had with Richard and his advice about building financial resilience as we move into 2023 is a great way to cap off the season. So I hope you'll be able to join me for each of those fascinating interviews. So with that said, let's slip into the stream and into this week's episode. As a child, I thought my eyes were windows to the world around me, that what I saw was a precise replication of reality. As I learned from Biology 101, that is a complete fabrication. As we all learned in intro biology, our brains are locked in a solid black box that we call our skulls. There are neither windows nor doors. 
The only means we have to orient ourselves in the world is through our senses, which arrive as chemical and electrical signals. Then our brains, with all their varied and complicated processing, create a simulation of what it interprets the world is like around us. Now, we have all experienced optical illusions, where our senses interpret it one way, but we rationally know what we see cannot be so. So our brains are making up a story about reality, but that storyline may only be a fragment of the greater story. Of course, it's not about doubting everything that comes to our senses. It's about looking for our blind spots to become better thinkers. It can only help when we use skills such as empathy. For example, when others misperceive reality, we may disagree with their interpretation, but we can understand where it originates. To approach this challenge, I think it helps to know that the brain is telling us stories about the minor things we perceive, like the motions of objects. But it's also telling us stories about some of the most complex things we think about, creating assumptions and expectations. When it comes to our expectations and we come face-to-face with ambiguity, our brains will fill in the ambiguity using whatever we're most familiar with, which usually means we draw from our past experiences. So when there is missing information or the information we're receiving is unclear, our brains will take the liberty of filling gaping holes in the story so we can make sense of the situation. Now, the challenge is that our brain makes many unconscious inferences, and it doesn't always tell us about those inferences that it makes. The result of this means we may be turning a non-fictional story into a fictional story or a fictional story into a fantasy story. In other words, our expectations of ourselves, others, and situations can be completely misconstrued and inaccurate. False expectations play a role in many psychosocial strains, such as anxiety and depression, due in part to overestimating future threats or failure. In this episode, I want to explore the importance of managing expectations and being aware of our cognitive biases. So what are expectations? Previously, we explored the idea in other episodes that a brain is a prediction machine, which runs on the code, if X, then Y. So expectations refer to the beliefs we hold about the outcome of events. While our expectations play an essential role in determining what happens and can contribute to goal-directed behavior, they can also lead to disappointment when reality does not match what we had hoped would happen. I mean, for example, have you recently held a picture in your mind of how something will play out or anticipated a particular outcome? Perhaps you had a concrete idea of what you wanted or needed from a particular situation. Well, each of these is a form of expectation. Sometimes we might get so attached to our expectations that we cannot see the reality of a situation. Now, this mismatch can prevent us from taking action or making decisions that would be in our best interest. So learning how to manage your expectations, well, it can be helpful when you're trying to avoid the expectation versus reality trap. So this leads to a secondary question. Well, how do we do this? Well, the first step is to use active awareness and to consciously direct our attention. And in this case, we want to think about our thinking and note the expectations we've pinned to a situation. This awareness is one way of avoiding the expectations versus reality pitfall. For example, when you're entering a new situation, we can ask ourselves, what do I expect to happen? 
Then we can ask ourselves a second question. Where did I come up with these expectations and are they realistic? We may feel disappointed if an expectation fails to materialize into reality. Then we can ask ourselves, was it realistic to expect what I was hoping for? Asking this or similar questions can teach us to manage our expectations. An important aspect is also to assess our confidence. How confident are we that our expectations will play out? What are we basing our beliefs on? Could we be too confident or too unconfident? Well, these questions lead us to the trailhead of confidence. Now, confidence and expectations are two sides of the same coin. Although they are different, they are connected. Albert Bandura, who performed original research on confidence in 77 at Stanford University, said, quote, Expectations determine how much effort people will expend and how long they will persist in the face of obstacles and adverse experiences. In other words, Bandura suggested that the more strongly a person believes in themselves, the more they will invest in their effort to succeed. Now, in a recent interview on my podcast, I spoke to Dr. Ian Robertson. He's the author of How Confidence Works, The New Science of Belief. Now, that episode will be released in the new year. But he spoke about how confidence is the most valuable resource a person can have because it empowers action, which in turn yields success, causing mood-enhancing and anxiety-diminishing brain changes. Now, Dr. Robertson noted that confidence is neither optimism nor self-esteem. Instead, it is a combination of how the brain encodes the results of already achieved success and how that translates into determination to achieve further success. In addition, it is about how we value ourselves, the extent we feel in control, and our ability to harness the feeling of empowerment of action. And finally, a sense of confidence is a set of beliefs about our ability to execute particular actions. Now, Dr. Robertson talked about confidence or self-confidence being being two self-beliefs, can do and can happen, that what I do will have an effect and something will happen due to my efforts and actions. But that combination of can do and can happen self-beliefs can lead to four different states. Now, the first state is apathy, where the person believes that they can't do anything about their situation and their situation won't change, that nothing will happen. And so apathy means a person has given up. It also means low dopamine levels drive this state, which directly links to understimulation of the brain's reward network. Now, a second state is anger. This is where a person believes they can do something, but their efforts will not pay off. It won't change anything, so nothing can happen from their efforts. And anger is a heightened state of frustration driven by too much noradrenaline because a person's initial effort doesn't produce the desired outcome. A third state that we've spoken on many times here is, on the podcast, I mean, is anxiety. Now, this is when a person feels they can't do anything about the situation, but they know the situation can be changed. This state occurs when a person has a picture in their head of what they want to achieve, but they can't see a way forward. Now, what self-confidence is, is what Dr. Robertson calls an activated state. Now, this mental state drives a person to take a course of action while simultaneously expecting there will be a successful outcome as a result of their efforts. 
And in this state, the activated state, we receive higher levels of dopamine, which gives us an incredible boost of motivation while being a solid antidote to anxiety. Now, I've been in and out of corporations and different industries and branches as a coach and sparring partner for many, many years. And one of the constant topics that kind of pops up is the neglect of managing expectations. Why do so many of us drop the ball when it comes to those expectations? And time and time again, I've experienced, and I'm sure you, dear listener, have experienced that when we don't manage expectations, well, it increases the risk of workplace conflicts, those difficult conversations, but it could also threaten organizational performance at the department level or even at the team level, the project team level. You know, from my experience, people don't consciously avoid managing expectations. Far from that. Instead, many of us don't know why talking about interpersonal issues such as expectations is essential. When things are not on the radar, the mental radar that is, they're not considered necessary and as a result, they're generally not addressed. What are some other reasons? Well, people put concrete topics first. And again, from my experience, many organizations prioritize quantitative and concrete topics such as technical, numerical, or project-related issues over qualitative and interpersonal issues. You know, many companies I engage with speak highly of the importance of psychological safety and feedback culture, but sometimes at the same time, many struggle with establishing the fundamentals of these principles in their organizations. Well, the question is, why is this? Well, people find it hard to switch to a relationship-level discussion. And I think the main reason is people find it hard to engage with what is often called the soft skills. And from my experience, we should actually rename soft skills hard skills. Talking about expectations requires us to move from a content-level discussion to a relationship-level discussions. Now, that sounds easy enough. But if we have not invested the time to lay the groundwork of trust and transparency amongst our team, then it's not something we can do so quickly to implement. Talking about expectations at an interpersonal level, well, that requires that we have established trust on an individual level and psychological safety on a team level. These are going to always be the prerequisites to openly addressing expectations and constructively aligning them. The lack of confidence and psychological safety makes it hard each and every time for people to switch to a relationship-level discussion. At the end of the day, there's no denying that expectations and those expectations that we set and manage, well, they become the connective tissue between individuals, teams, and departments. And so therefore, in my head, we must know what our company, boss, and peers expect from us. This same reasoning also applies the other way around. People need to know the expectations we have of them. And if we don't take the time to clarify expectations, well, the brain will take the liberty of taking the bits it does not know and to stick it together into its own story. It will naturally fill in the gaps. So how can we address this issue? Well, I'd like to share some of my own personal experience and thoughts around this. Now, this is completely anecdotal, and I pulled this from my years of experience working with clients and things that I've learned along this road. Now, 
This is not to replace anything that you already do. Hopefully, you can take some of this on and it complements what you already do. So my very first recommendation is this. Communicate them early. The most important part of setting and respecting others' expectations is communicating this information early in the relationship. By introducing your expectations at the beginning stages of a professional relationship, you can help establish consistent guidelines. My second piece of advice to you is assume expectations are not aligned. Talk about them and write them down. As I've previously stated, there is a natural tendency in organizations not to talk about expectations. Thus, your first step to effectively managing them is to be aware that they are essential but rarely addressed. Take the first step and talk about them. In many cases, it even makes sense to write them down and make them available beyond your discussion. My third piece of advice to you is to reinforce them with reminders. From time to time, reinforcing your expectations ensures they stay on a person's mental radar. Supervisors and colleagues might not always remember the specifics of what you've told them or what you expect. Like ourselves, they are probably involved in complex lives with many moving parts. Sharing a reminder helps to align action and allows people to manage their time and the logistics of their day. My fourth piece of advice to you is to hold yourself and others accountable. Accountability is a critical factor in healthy professional relationships. Keeping yourself and others accountable fosters a system that positively encourages feedback on how to improve. In essence, this is the foundation for building a feedback culture. These conversations involve asking questions and discussing solutions. About, well, about how to meet individual group expectations. In addition, it's vital, it's crucial to determine what factors played a role in any setbacks and to create goals to ensure everyone can reach them. In conclusion, remember, our brains are naturally and automatically generating pictures of how the future will play out. And for most of our day-to-day routines, this is perfectly fine and natural. We don't need to mess around with this. When it becomes significant is when they are big events in our lives. And in those cases, this is when we want to jump into the pilot seat of our brains to be cognizant, to be present to our thinking. And this is the difference between strategizing and speculation. We want to be on the side of the fence about strategizing. If we can invest our time to think about our thinking and manage our expectations, this, in a large part, well, it'll help us avoid the pitfalls and disappointments of unrealistic expectations. Well, thank you again, dear listener, for listening to me for another week and showing up to another episode We have reached the tail end of this conversation this week. And so I'm looking forward and I hope you will be able to join me for each of those exciting and interesting interviews I have lined up in the month of December. And as usual, my call to action to you, dear listener, if you could please subscribe, rate and review this podcast, this episode, I would really appreciate it. And if you have the time, please recommend to two friends or two colleagues that you think may benefit from the content of this podcast. And for those of you who are interested and not signed up, I release a podcast newsletter every Wednesday morning that is short but sweet. It's quite concise and it just updates you on the latest episode. 
Sometimes we go into an article and sometimes we find a blast from a past, a previous episode, just to bring it up on your mental radar. But anyways, folks, I will see you next week. Until then, keep well, keep strong, and we'll speak soon.